I'm Andrew. I'm the pastor to the students here at Rockbrook. Someone asked what we've been talking about in youth group. I said, well, we're talking about Jesus. They, <laughs> That's funny. So no, no, like we're really studying Jesus. There really are answers available about Jesus. But the answers that students get are often clouded by misunderstanding, mistruth. Unfortunately, this is especially the case on today's campuses where facts are regularly blurred in the name of tolerance. Our student ministry at Rockbrook is designed to help students discover the truth about Jesus. Teens who stick with student ministry at Rockbrook come out of high school with a firm grasp on their faith. They have the knowledge and tools to be able to give answers to people who challenge them. They know who Jesus is. They know how Jesus can help them in real life. Our students are impressive. What we do here is a big deal. And Pastor Kelly said, can you come over to big church? That's what we call this, big church. And, uh, can you come over to big church and do a student message? Just show people what you guys do over there. And I'm like, well, sure. I'll just do, I'll just do what we're going to do that week. I'll just, I'll just do it for everybody. So uh, we are now ready to look at an event in John chapter 4. It's an interaction with a woman at the well that talks with Jesus. And it's a great conversation. And during this conversation, she says something to Jesus. This is what she says. Messiah is coming. He will tell us all things. This is a Samaritan woman meeting Jesus at the well. And in the middle of the conversation, she says this. And she is not a religious leader. She's not a Pharisee. She's not a scribe. She's not a teacher of the law. She talks about this hope and expectation that Messiah is coming. She says, he will tell us all things. A lot of people had a lot of expectations about this Messiah. And that's one of the problems that we find in the history of Jesus. People had created their own expectations as to what the Messiah was going to do. A lot of them ended up being disappointed because Jesus didn't fulfill their ideas. He fulfilled the biblical fingerprint of the Messiah, but not their expectations. In the days before Jesus' birth, there was a belief among the Jews that a Messiah would come. And they were looking for him. Andrew found Simon Peter and said to him, we have found the Messiah. They were looking for him. They were expecting him. They had an understanding of who he would be, but they didn't have all the details. There's this belief that they have, a hope. And that hope didn't come simply because they were a people that were picked on. And they were picked on. Uh, the government didn't like the Jews. But it wasn't like there was Jews wishing that a knight in shining armor would show up. That, that's not what was going on. There was this hope that existed within the Jewish people. In their culture, it was a very specific hope. It was based on the promises of God. The promise God made in the Garden of Eden at the beginning of the world, a descendant from Adam and Eve will come, the seed of the woman. All the things that pointed to the Messiah, all the prophecies and the prophets pointed to him. Some students were wondering, how many prophecies there are. 
prophecies about the Messiah that point to Jesus? And that's a good question. That's actually a real question. At the low end, some say there are around 50 prophecies. Some have numbered over 400. There are prophecies that add a detail to that overall promise of the Messiah coming. That he would be born in Bethlehem. That his hands and feet would be pierced. And this prophecy was given way before crucifixion was used. That his hands and feet would be pierced. None of his bones would be broken. People would gamble over his clothes. He would be assigned a grave with the rich. His body would not decay. 50 to 400 of these prophecies that were part of the Jewish hope. Prophecies that helped them understand who the Messiah would be and where he would come from. We have a problem with prophecy. The reason we have a problem is because we have seen hundreds of so-called prophets make predictions and it doesn't happen. False prophets. Uh, There's a lot of them. Uh, Just a quick search came up with some famous eye rollers all the way back to 500. I like this one. In 847, Theota predicted the return of Christ in the year 1000. Kind of the original Y1K. None of their computers worked, I'm sure. Uh, You may have heard some of the more recent ones where people have died. Marshall Applewhite, Heaven's Gate. They believed that the world was going to be recycled An alien ship was going to come and take them away. But they all had to die for their spirits to be caught up in that spaceship. Uh, You remember the great prophecy associated with the Mayans, that the world was going to end on December 21st, 2012, and we're all still here. Many times these predictions are from people who are associated with Christianity or religion. So we live in a culture that is very skeptical about prophecies. Many people don't use prophecies anymore as a way to tell someone about Jesus, but you need to be aware that they're there. And as you build a relationship with someone and are talking with them, and they are open to at least look at the evidence of prophecies, it's powerful evidence. I mean, the odds of anyone fulfilling the prophecies, even at the low end of those prophecies, is astronomical. There are some prophecies where people may say, well, Jesus could have decided to fulfill that. But the vast majority of the messianic prophecies were way outside of Jesus' control. It's an issue that we have to deal with because of all the the false prophets in our culture. But this was different in past cultures. The Jews had a pretty high standard for their prophets. Deuteronomy. If what a prophet proclaims in the name of the Lord does not take place or come true, that is the message the Lord has not spoken. That prophet has spoken presumptuously. Do not be afraid of him. Now that's interesting. Because one of the things that happens today in almost all prophecies is there is a fear associated with it. Do not be afraid of it. Oh, and there was a consequence uh, that happened in Jewish culture. If you prophesied falsely, Can you guess what the consequence was? Yeah, yeah, they got rid of you. Uh, That would make you think twice before claiming a prophecy about spaceships and aliens. So to the Jews, when a prophet spoke, he was speaking how God had told him. The prophecy was sure. It really was going to happen because he's a prophet of God. 
if he's a false prophet, they don't last very long. The prophecies in Isaiah, the prophecies we see in Malachi and others, to the Jews and their culture, it was going to happen. It wasn't like, oh, we hope this happens. No, it was real because they knew it was from God. And when he promised it, it was going to happen. In Isaiah 46, we're going to look at this expression of the authority of God. They understood and believed that God was real. They had seen proof. I mean, there was a physical interaction with God through all their history. God made stuff happen. It was the prophetic theme of all the Jewish scriptures. They all pointed to the Messiah. If you remember when Jesus had risen from the dead, he was walking down a road, and Jesus catches up to two of his disciples who were walking down the same road. They're going to the town of Emmaus. And Jesus asked them, what are you discussing? And the disciples, they didn't recognize Jesus. They didn't recognize him. And they said, are you clueless? Don't you know what's been going on? They start to tell Jesus about Jesus being crucified on the cross. And now he's dead. And some people say he's come back to life. And Jesus explained to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted them all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Jesus is telling his disciples that all the prophecies are now fulfilled in me. That's quite a statement by Jesus. So what is the problem? I mean, why doesn't everybody believe in God? Why doesn't everybody trust Jesus? Because the evidence, when you look at the evidence, it shows that Jesus is real. I want to let another guy explain this. Greg Kokel, and uh, he is an author. The guy is smart. It always surprises me when people are dismissive of Jesus of Nazareth because of what they claim is lack of evidence. There is no person from antiquity that has more primary source documentation about the details of their life than Jesus of Nazareth. Nobody's even close. If you want to take history seriously, you have to take these primary source documents, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and also the other writers of the New Testament because they have biographical material. You have to take it seriously. You can't just dismiss it. If you dismiss all the historical evidence and then say there is no evidence, of course you might have a point, but that's because you've created the problem. If you look carefully at the evidence and just test it, as you would test any historical evidence like it from antiquity, what you get is a vivid picture of one of the most fascinating lives that were ever lived. You have details of his life, you have conversations, you have things that he did, you have conflicts that he encountered, you have content of a, of a theological source that is well thought out. You have a person who is willing to deal with objectors straight on and come up with really clever and profound answers. I mean, Jesus was no goof. He knew how to handle himself in tough conversations. And sometimes when he was done with the conversation, those who were trying to trick him were, were completely silenced. Uh, evidence? His life is filled with evidence. The problem isn't that there isn't enough evidence about Jesus. So what is the problem? 
It's not about evidence. It's a moral problem. It's a heart problem. It's because we want to go our way and not his way. Paul made an awesome statement when he wrote to the Galatians. But when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. Now, why would he say born of a woman? The seed of the woman. Remember that? Paul is tying these things together. This tells us more than just the notion that God was waiting for the right moment. This tells us that there was a plan. There was a script. There was a composition that is reaching its crescendo. It didn't just happen. God wasn't just watching and thinking, oh, is now a good time? Oh, maybe not. Now? Oh, no, no, no. He wasn't doing that. There's a plan. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, born of a woman. This was the supreme moment that all of history was waiting for. The prophecies were said. The promises were made. Everyone is just waiting for that moment. Malachi made a prophecy. And that's how the Old Testament ends. The Jewish scripture ends with this prophecy from Malachi. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord. And then everything goes dark. For 400 years, there are no more messages from God. There are no more prophecies. Now, that doesn't mean that there wasn't anything going on. Uh, I mean, there was the, the Persian Empire, Alexander the Great, the rise of the Roman Empire, the Ptolemies, the building of Herod's temple. There's a lot of stuff going on, but there's no word from God. Think about what that was like to live in a culture, to have all these promises about God, a history of men of God hearing from God, delivering messages. To have Malachi make this statement. And then nothing else. Just silence. It would be like a 400-year pause in Handel's Messiah. When I was a little kid, my mom was in a choir, and they did Handel's Messiah. And I, I would have to go to choir practice with her. So I would sit in the back and play with my G.I. Joes and Star Wars toys and, uh, during practice. And I learned Handel's Messiah. It was the soprano part, but I learned it. Yeah. Are, are you familiar with it? It's a great score. They use this in movies all the time. Uh, Handel's Messiah has one of the most famous musical pauses in, in all of music. It's the pause that happens towards the end. And then the conductor turns around and looks at us and says, thank you. That'll be all. 
And we sit there and look at each other and think, hey, let's finish this. That's not the end. That's not how that goes. And we wait and we wait. And a lifetime goes by. And another lifetime. And another. And we're talking 100 years, 200 years, 400 years, and nothing. Just silence. And we might think that after that long, people are saying, it's not going to happen. I mean, it's been 400 years. We haven't heard anything from God. I think he's upset with us. I think he's left. Have you ever thought that in your own life? I know you have. I've spent enough time with students. There have been a lot of times where they've said, God's just gone. I've done something. I've disappointed him. I haven't heard from him. He's left me. The promises are over. One of my childhood fascinations was with space. I mean, I love Star Wars toys. I love Star Trek. Uh, I loved NASA. I loved all things space. Do you remember Apollo 13? Some Apollo of you are old enough to remember this. T-minus 20 seconds. T-minus 20 seconds and counting. 17, guidance release. 15, 14, 13, 12, 11, 10, 9, 8. Ignition sequence has started. 6, 5, Four, three, two, one, zero. We have commit and we have liftoff at 2.13. The Saturn V building up to 7.6 million pounds of thrust and it has cleared the tower. On April 13th, for Apollo 13, all of a sudden, they heard this call. Hey, Houston, we've had a problem here. Can say again, please. Oh, Houston, we've had a problem. Oxygen tank two had exploded. Roger, main B undervolt. Stand by, 13. We're looking at it. Okay, uh, right now, uh, Houston, the uh, voltage is... Uh, Three astronauts up. in a severely disabled a spacecraft headed to the, the moon with no hope of carrying out their mission the of a uh, lunar uh, landing. Spike on it, uh, once before. The big question was if they would even be able to return home at all. It was a big deal at the time. The whole world was captivated. People at NASA were gathering together to discuss how they're going to bring these guys back alive or really if there was even any hope of doing that. They didn't know how damaged the spacecraft was. 
whether the heat shield had been damaged. Because if it was damaged, then on re-entry, they would burn up. And they are coming in faster than predicted. They're coming in just about as fast as any spacecraft has returned from space before. During re-entry, there's a blackout period that happens. The last few seconds now and when they re-enter re the atmosphere, the friction the becomes so hot that the air begins to ionize. And that ionized envelope around them cuts off any communication. And the concern was, as they're, as they're going through and it's blackout period, they don't know what's going on, can't hear from them, can't talk to them, can't talk to each other, that they're going to burn up because of the damage to the craft. That blackout period was supposed to last just a few minutes, and they went through that time. Apollo 13 should be uh, out of blackout at this time. Uh, we're standing by for any reports of Araya acquisition. The looks on people's faces at the end of that waiting period, the concern, the calls, this is Houston, do you read me? It's just static. Odyssey, this is Houston. Do you read me? The clock just ticked, and you can begin to see the deflation of people as the realization begins to set in that they're gone. Then all of a sudden, there is this amazing cheer, uh, not just at NASA, but around the world. The Apollo 13 blackout lasted just a few minutes. But imagine 400 years of silence. Everything had gone dark. Then all of a sudden, things go crazy. There's dreams, there's angels. An angel comes to Mary, says, you're going to have a baby. You're going to name him Jesus because he's going to save his people from their sins. An angel appears to Zechariah, stating Malachi's prophecy is going to be fulfilled in his son. His son was John the Baptist. The angel Gabriel appears to Mary, announcing that she would supernaturally conceive and give birth to the promised Messiah. Elizabeth miraculously conceives in her old age, and Mary conceives as a virgin. Joseph is visited by numerous angels telling him not to divorce Mary. Later, angels would appear to him and warn him to go to Egypt, then come back from Egypt, then go to Nazareth. John jumps in Elizabeth's womb. Zechariah, who supernaturally struck dumb, now supernaturally speaks and prophesies after John's birth. One angel, followed by an entire host of angels, appears to the shepherds announcing the Messiah is born. The stars in the sky align and the magi see the signs. The magi are miraculously warned not to return to Herod. Simeon, who had been supernaturally promised that he would not die. Wouldn't it have been neat to be Simeon? Uh, God promised Simeon that he would not die before the, he could see the Messiah. And Simeon stands and prophesies on the temple steps, prophesies as he holds the baby Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah in his arms. The promise is fulfilled. Promise is made from the very beginning. The seed of the woman would come. It's happening. Was hope lost? 
When everything went dark for 400 years, when there was no word from God, when it looked like he had walked away and abandoned them. No. The prophecies and the promises remained firm and sure. The seed line was preserved for the supreme moment, for the fullness of time. The silence was broken. When it seemed like everything had gone dark, when the world, when that voice in your head are whispering to you that it's all over. Why do you still trust in a God who hasn't spoken to you in at least a week or however long it takes for us to feel like God has left? When it feels like God has gone quiet, it's because the conductor is waiting for the right moment. the fullness of time in the right time. God brought a son born of a woman and fulfilled all the promises, fulfilled all the prophecies. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. The one who would come as a result of the promises made by God came. There's only one person who fulfilled all that, and it's Jesus. Jesus.